0: Objects have power. I believe some are charged with something just less than an awareness. Although if you'd like to go down the road of sentient bookshelves, I'm more than ready. And whatever it is, maybe we're all just the same cosmic dust being recycled and reformed, endlessly remolded, forced to deal with one another at all times over and over again in whatever form we take. Is anything really created or destroyed in this system? Hmm... The point is, objects find us when we need them, or they need us. And the energy exchange that happens from two things occupying the same moment in time is a strange and unknowable thing. My thought has always been that every encounter we have with people or things shapes us as sure as a river smooths a stone. And the discovery of one thing, even a line in a book, can nudge us forward towards the best version of ourselves if we are open to the signals of the universe. My life has been a process of staying open and listening to the cosmic vibrations. I feel the energies of all things, and I know when something needs to stay or go. We all have things. We move from place to place, the thing that always gets packed up last and unpacked first. For me, one of the things is a faded comic book from 1968. Purple and green lines and psychedelic waves form the face of a bearded guru, as a robotic man, a woman, and a man wrapped in bandages writhe in pain, strapped to a metal chair. The plight of these characters and the idea of a groovy guru are things that we explore this week in The Deep Night. Oh, friends, hello, it's me, Del Sheaver, and I'm so pleased to be with you as your host for this next hour of regrets and revelations, still in quarantine and never leaving. We hope this transmission finds you well in these uncertain times. We come to you tonight, as we always do, from the foul banks of the Guanas. In fact, on a summer day such as this, when the oil sheen dances across our Gowanus surface... It reminds me a little bit of that old comic book I was talking about, with its greens and purples and vibrant hues. The signals are everywhere, friends. And who knows what fate we're being guided toward, and who's doing the guiding? Friends, tonight's a special episode of the program focused on something that has been one of my North Stars as a creative person and as a person-person. The Doom Patrol. First of all, it's a great name, isn't it? Who would see Doom Patrol on a comic book and not pick that up? and i know that maybe not everyone's familiar with this particular band of misfits a comic book property not as well known as the avengers or even the justice league in the world of comics the doom patrol were often left to their own strange adventures you got the feeling they weren't really welcome in the hall of justice and decidedly not on a list of super friends Aquaman never called a negative man for help. Now, partly that's because the negative energy spirit that lived inside the body of Air Force test pilot Larry Trainer could only exist outside of Larry's body for 60 seconds, or else Larry would perish. So not so handy when covering long distances like the ocean, but also Aquaman was always the one being rescued because he got too dry or ended up covered in sand or somewhere where no fish were around for him to talk to. <laughs> but maybe I'm too in the doom weeds already. What I'm saying is that for kids that didn't fit in uh, uh, or felt a little off or outside the mainstream, the Doom Patrol was for us. A group of misfits bonded in trauma forced to turn what would be perceived as disabilities into strengths. Larry, Cliff, and Rita, Negative Man, Robot Man, and woman suffering but thriving. And who cares what the super pals are doing? The Doom Patrol was fighting a rogues gallery full of existential threats, made real. They fought villains who could warp reality, bend time, and steal minds. Now, Superman was for everyone. Robot Man was for the weirdos. And if you look back at that Doom Patrol issue 119 and flip through to see the crazed guru they were trying to escape from, well, let's just say that I may have borrowed a fashion tip or two. And the personal piece to this is, is that my mother gave me that comic book. Now, how she came to have it, I don't know. But I'm very grateful that this totem, this object, came into my life when it did. And this episode is another link in that chain of decisions I've made as a direct result of picking up that comic and reading it as a young person. Now, the time feels right again for the Doom Patrol. Things are off-kilter in our lives, to put it mildly. The shiny superheroes have already blasted through with noise and pomp, and now our worlds have gotten a little smaller, a little grittier. We're in our heads more, stuck inside. I mean, a group of people forced to deal with another, uh, one another, getting on each other's nerves while fending off a world full of invisible threats and impossible situations. Well, that sounds like a Tuesday here in the Deep Night Quarantine HQ. <laughs> Luckily, the Doom Patrol has been given a new glorious incarnation on television thanks to a team of creative people like my guest today, Doom Patrol series writer Shoshana Saatchi. Shoshana brings a wealth of ideas and concepts and a real sense of horror to her work on the show, which just started its second season on HBO Max and the DC Universe app. Now, new episodes are out every Thursday, and I encourage you to check it out. Give it a chance give in to the weirdness. Let Cliff be your guide. Now, right after my conversation with Shoshana, we'll have another Deep Night Spotlight with a song from Bay Area-based outfit Space Moth. So stay tuned for that. But now, oh now, let's pay a visit to Doom Manor and check in with Los Angeles-based writer Shoshana Saatchi. (music) Shoshana Saatchi, welcome to the Deep Night.
1: Thank you, thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely, it's great that you can join me. Now, are you like me? Do you have a special video conferencing outfit?
1: Um, Shorts, definitely. Anything to be comfortable in.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes. I found I need far fewer clothes than I once thought. Just a couple (laughs) of nice uh, turtlenecks uh, to Zoom with and then that's it. The rest of it is just taking up space. Yeah, Yeah, sure. (laughs) It's all you need. Well, it's a great pleasure to meet you and to have you on the show. And my goodness, you're responsible in no small part for bringing uh, my favorite comic book characters to life on the screen with Doom Patrol. Uh, You're a writer and story editor. Is that what it is? Did I get the title right?
1: Um, Story editor just means writer. Just means I've done it for two years (laughs) on the show.
0: i love it well i've learned something and i know that we cannot get too specific about the the program but maybe we could talk a little bit i don't want to give anything away because it's a yeah. wonderful uh thing and certainly you've written a great uh arc for everybody um but season two has just started of doom patrol on hbo mm-hmm. max oh yes <laughs> yes it's very purple and very exciting <laughs> um and I, I have to thank you for giving the entire enterprise uh, a kind of a cohesive sense that I've never experienced before. As someone who has read these characters and read this story for years, it you made it make sense. Oh, thank you. I'm glad.
1: Sometimes I'm not very sure if we do that, but it's <laughs> it's very cool to see people responding, no matter how strange and how weird we go.
0: Yes, yes. And it is very weird. Uh, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And I, that's what's great. Now, for those unfamiliar with the characters, maybe just give me the, the basic idea here for, the, for those uh, folks.
1: Well, basically, it's about a group of misfits who don't really want to be superheroes, but they're, they've been gifted or they would say cursed with um, some supernatural super abilities, uh, which they um, feel is more of a hindrance than actually um, a superpower. Um, right. So there's Jane, who uh, is one of my favorites, and she um, has 64 personalities. She has dissociative disorder, but um, added to that, each personality has a superpower. Um, and then there's Rita, who um, is elastic, elasticity woman, and she um, can stretch and bend, grow. But mo- most of the time, she blobs out when she's a little bit stressed um and then there's relate (laughs) (laughs) blob out yeah everyone (laughs) everyone could relate that's the thing it's um that i think makes doom patrol so much fun um then there's robot man who is a robot man (laughs)
2: um
1: uh and then we have larry who um was in a radioactive kind of uh space accident and now he has a um a spirit living inside him. And he has to be covered with bandages because he's radioactive.
0: Naturally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you could name, uh, and there are others, but if you could Mm -hmm. name one of the characters that sort of form the core of Doom Patrol, who do you find it easiest to write for? Where do you find your sort of natural, uh, find it easiest to slip into that voice?
1: Um, You know, a lot of people ask me that and I I always have a favorite when I happen to be writing an episode that is mostly their story um that leans on them more and then the moment i'm writing a different character they become my favorite so i i, sure. I feel like it, i think it goes back to them being relatable in their own right and um when you slip into either one of them i think it yeah they all become my favorite so <laughs> yeah
0: yeah. Yes. Well, and uh, for me, Cliff uh, Steele, a uh, robot man, has always been, ironically, the one that is this sort of one that you identify with as an audience member. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, certainly in the show, you've kind of played up the fact that most of the time he's looking around saying, what the F is going on yeah. here? And, and which is uh, very appropriate for many of the situations they are involved mm-hmm. in. Uh, yeah,
1: I, I think, I think we have two characters who kind of fit that description as like, as the person who's kind of coming into this strange world with fresh eyes. There's Robot Man, who is very much a part of that, because he is so strange. Um, but he has no Yeah, he, he's just like, what the F all the time. Um And then there's Cyborg as well, who comes in as a very straight-laced superhero. And he knows the superhero, you know, like supervillain game, but he um, is also very much taken aback by how strange everything is. So,
0: yeah. Right. So Robot Man uh, and Cyborg, the two, Mm -hmm. like, somehow dealing with some kind of human uh, interface with uh, ro- robotics are both yeah. the ones that are our gateway in. Mm-hmm. And uh, now the the whole thing uh, created 1963 or something has always been viewed. Doom Patrol is always kind of a proto X-Men is what people mm-hmm. have said. You've got the chief and Professor X in the wheelchair. But it struck me in thinking about our conversation today how the, the X-Men and mutants and all that always had to be a stand-in for uh, teenage troubles and hormones and the changes mm-hmm. of puberty. And all of a sudden, I've got knives in my hands or whatever it was. <laughs> but the Doom Patrol are adults, and they're dealing mm-hmm. with very complicated issues that are adult issues of grief and trauma and self-worth Absolutely. and identity. Uh, it's, it's, maybe that's why they weren't as popular uh, to begin with. Uh, because it's kind of a teen medium of comics, although that's changed.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think so. And also um, it, uh, the Doom Patrol comics are very nation that they deal with um, a lot of kind of existential things in a philo- philosophical kind of way, in a very kind of avant-garde kind of way. Um, so it's not for everyone, you know, it's not... Um, straightforward. <laughs> it, it, like, even for me, like, just going into Grant Morrison's, I feel like every time you pick, you pick it up, um, you learn something new, you see a new detail. There's just a lot in there, packed in there.
0: Yes, absolutely. And do you feel like the times, though, now have finally kind of caught up, uh, especially with some of the Grant Morrison things that were introduced uh, to the Doom Patrol? I mean, they are the heroes we need of this moment. Um, certainly they were... Uh, very uh, progressive, uh, one of the more progressive teams, I think. Uh, I'm almost sure that reading it, whenever I was reading it, was my first introduction to characters that identified as trans, as non-binary. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a kind of queer thread through a lot of it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think even even now, if you look at comics um, coming out now, there's not a lot of that. So I think um, what Graham Morrison mm-hmm. was doing was very, and Rachel politic very very fresh and new and groundbreaking at that time for sure
0: absolutely and i found a sort of new resonance i think with Mm -hmm. what you're putting out there too and uh now i thought i would just show you my uh this copy uh that i'm holding in my hands of doom patrol 119 victims of the mind stealer this one's important to me because it was one my mother had given to me and i thought it was interesting that one uh, this lady uh, read comics which was just <laughs> kind of mind-blowing but that uh, this was my introduction <laughs> to this and a copy of Adam Strange and they still remain two of my favorite kind of characters. but I mean it's weird they are always the grooviest kind of and mm-hmm. this one they get uh, involved with some kind of cult and they have to switch personalities or something and it's uh,
1: and you know, how old were you when you when you got that?
0: Young, just a young, uh, a young, young person. I mean, mm-hmm. she must have uh, read it when it came out, I guess, in the 60s mm-hmm. or something. Um, or I don't know, maybe that 70s. But uh, yeah, I got it as a young kid. And just trying to understand what was going on in the politics part. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> But it did make me curious about cults.
2: <laughs> well
1: there you go <laughs>
0: <laughs> so that, and so what was that was my first introduction to doom patrol and comics really mm. but what was your first introduction to the to the team and the characters and then i want to talk more about sort of how you got into this whole thing
1: well actually um i i was not like familiar with the comic at all until um i sat down with jeremy carver um when we were talking about staffing kind of thing and and um uh, so it was only when I was introduced to the project that I first read um, Grant Morrison's run as well as Dradway's um, current run at the time. So yes. I was very, yeah. very new to it, but immediately I was interested. Uh, growing up, I read a lot of comic books, but they tended to be kind of fringe, um, not mainstream kind of stuff. And I loved um, The Wordier, The Better. And Grant Morrison was very much that. So
0: <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. I mean, there's some of the things you just—it's—it's—it uh, it was it's still so out there and mm-hmm. visually. Uh, I mean, the, the the artists that then interpreted what Grant Morrison was putting out there uh, to the extent that they did, or I don't know what the collaboration was like, but to to visually represent the world and the fact that you have uh, stayed so close to the visual identity that's in the comics is is wonderful it's not just a bunch of folks in like black leather jackets like hey we (laughs) are superheroes they actually look like they do in the in the Mm -hmm. comics which is to me always the way to go
1: yeah for sure i'm i'm always blown away every time i turn up to set and i see uh like things that the props department have put together things that the costume departments put together and it's always just so intricate and detailed and I, I'm glad that we get to do that, um, and and really service the comic and make fans really excited. Um, yeah, and and it it really shows you how strong of a vision that Jeremy has for this, and how yeah. much um, uh, trust and respect he has for the source material as well.
0: Yeah. Even a bad doom patrol story is a great doom patrol story because you know you're going to have a talking gorilla or a lady who's a magnet or something's going to happen and it's going mm-hmm. <laughs> it's going to be great. Um and uh, the fact that you're able to translate so much of Grant Morrison stuff in that era and uh, Rachel Pollack stuff just mm-hmm. fantastic. Now, uh talk to me though about your path to Los Angeles where you are now uh, because you started uh, where?
1: I was born in Malaysia. Um, and then at about 14 or 15, uh, we moved as a family to New Zealand and, uh, and that's when in undergrad was when I found screenwriting. Um, and then about, I want to say six years ago, I came out to LA, um, to do a master's in screenwriting at UCLA. And, uh, that's, that's how I got here and about a year of freelance writing, I, and out of graduation, um, I wrote for a Cartoon Network a kids' show called Power Players. Uh, just wrote a couple episodes for them. I did some freelance writing for uh, interactive story apps. And then yeah. I found Doom Patrol. Uh, so <laughs> I'm,
0: I'm very lucky. Well, if we can go back to the uh, to New Zealand for a minute, mm-hmm. and I don't want you know, I don't want to make more of it than it is. But uh, it seems to me uh, recently there's been a surge of uh, creative and comedic voices coming from New Zealand that also bring a sort of uh, dark sense of of the world. <laughs> Do you uh, find yourself associated with that? Are you drawn to that kind of thing? Do you feel like it's too heavy handed to say that's a New Zealand uh, uh, quality uh, that maybe you picked up?
1: No, I absolutely think so. Um, new Zealand humor has always been a little bit um, it can be a little bit British in that it could be a little bit dry and um, and also a little bit dark I think our sense of humor um, and that's very new Zealand and yeah I've, obviously I'm drawn to it. I grew up there but I think the world's also becoming more open to different. Kind of uh, points of view, and I think that's why I mean, it's always been there. I think there's a insurgence now because um, people are more open to um, trying out different different things and different voices.
0: Yeah, and mm-hmm. is it just too beautiful there? That's why you have to have a little bit of. The talk. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everybody wants to go there now, of course, because yeah. they did such a good job. It just, I mean, maybe they've <laughs> always wanted to go there with the virus stuff, they uh,
2: mm-hmm.
0: fantastic, and it's. Certainly captured our imagination <laughs> at a time of great darkness. But uh, going back to your early days, uh, you—how early did you feel uh, that you were a writer?
1: Um, I've been writing since I was like four years old.
0: <laughs> Amazing, and, and and do I have it correct that you were drawn to horror as a genre?
1: Yes, absolutely. Still am. Um, I love darker stuff, and I think even in my Doom Patrol episodes that I work on, you can kind of see my interest in in darker stuff um some horror elements tend to kind of crop up there Uh Um, but with doom patrol i get to you know match that with kind of with really outlandish crazy funny stuff as well which is which is always fun
0: and was that a part of your writing as well did you always find a way to slip in a little bit of comedy or humor
1: um, I dabbled in a little bit of that when I was at UCLA, uh, learning comedy writing as well as dramatic writing. But I think most of the time I stuck to the darker stuff. And being on Doom Patrol helped me um, kind of add that string to my bow.
0: Uh, yes, well, mm-hmm. good. Uh, and uh, what do you what do think, what was the aspect of horror that you were into? Um, I
1: I think, you know, maybe... Growing up in um, Malaysia, for instance, and also New Zealand, um, there's a lot of kind of mysticism and folklore and superstition. Um, It's pretty traditional to hear ghost stories that are very specific to our culture. Mm -hmm. Um, And that aspect of of horror stories um, that use mysticism and folklore uh, is something that really, really interests me. Um, because it reflects as well, um, kind of the human psyche, the darker part of the human, um, human experience. So that's what really, really draws me in.
0: Uh Uh-huh. And is it around death itself, death rituals? Uh, is that where a lot of the folklore is focused?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, when, when I was really young, um, I lost my grandmother who I was very close with Uh and, um, because uh we're a part of the hindu burial customs it makes it very personal the whole ritual around preparing the body and then um the practice of um burning the body and then the ashes and and handling of the ashes it's all very personal and it's very uh tactile experience um and as it but then there's also this layer of um Asian cultures don't tend to kind of talk about death in the same way that you might in Western culture where you where there's a sense that you have to prepare a child um, before they experience, you know, it's, it's a very, like, sensitive topic, whereas in yeah. Asian culture, it's sort of, like, just a part of life and there's not a lot of warning before you experience all these things. So you kind of have yeah. to, like, process it as you experience it. Um, so going through that as a child definitely um in, intrigued me to yeah um, yeah,
0: yeah. I, I i too lost <laughs> a grandmother at a very mm-hmm. early age and that was one of the first ghosts i saw uh was her uh, head just kind of floating above the stairway one
1: oh uh, my goodness
0: one evening and not in a threatening way it was mm-hmm. okay at least i didn't read it as maybe it was supposed to be <laughs> but i i thought it was very uh, kind um but mm-hmm. i had that connection but i've uh, read have you read uh, uh, Caitlin, uh Doughty's Adowy's a book about the uh, um the sort of western approach to death and how that's kind of a uh, kind of a mismatch for a lot of people or a misfire, and that there's many other ways we could be thinking about um,
2: mm-hmm.
0: the the things that we do and to look to other cultures from that's uh, pretty um, specific to the u s and the, oh, the way that we handle things and how just wrong it is. <laughs> And, you know, once you put capitalism with uh, funeral uh, preparations, well, surprise, it Mm -hmm. gets bad. Uh, So a lot of uh, advocacy for uh, funeral pyres and that kind of a thing. It's a Mm -hmm. good read that I think you'd be interested in.
1: Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Mm
0: -hmm. I'm ready to sign up to one of those uh, fungus suits that you get. you know about (laughs) those?
1: Um, I think I've heard of that. Can you tell me more? Like, how do you?
0: It's a suit that's laced with a, a, a fungus uh, thing that breaks down the body, and so you can just have a natural—that's uh, cool dissolve.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, I always wonder about those, you know, um, those expensive coffins and stuff like that, how that breaks down. And
0: yeah, yeah. what are we doing? Follow the uh-huh. money—that's <laughs> it's I'm a racket. Sorry. That's what it is. <laughs> um, but you—you you wrote a number of things that were uh, what were they? Short stories, horror stories.
1: Um, I have a horror novel that I horror self-published. Um, it's been a while now; it's almost a decade ago.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, still out there. And are there <laughs> were there writers that you sought out that were sort of working in that way? Sorry. Were there writers that you were particularly drawn, like horror writers that you...
1: Uh, oh, um, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Stephen King. <laughs> yeah. People um, like
0: I, him.
1: Yeah, yeah, for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's popular. I think so. Um, uh, yeah, I, I love his work. It's it's always very readable. I'm always very jealous of the fact that he can write two books a year or something like that. Um, it took me forever to, to write mine and, um, and go through the process of you know editing and then publishing um but yeah I'm very I, I love Stephen King um and I I love also just finding um short story horror writers like Angela Carter um and other kind of more not so well-known writers to just kind of try out and and learn different voices and um and see how other people approach horror as well
0: yeah and does the setting matter to you? Are you happy uh, with a horror thing that happens in a hotel, or does it need to happen in space, or does it not matter?
1: Um, I don't think it matters for me. I, um, although if I'm writing it, the, I, I'm more interested in kind of the relationships of the characters involved. Um, it tends to start with a character for me and how they perceive and, and deal with and have relationships, um, and. There usually there's some kind of folklore element, whether it's um, based around a culture or religion or a, a ghost story, superstition. Uh, that's the kind of thing that I enjoy.
0: Yeah. Is there, a, and sorry to put you on the spot like this, but is there something you could recommend that maybe has a lot of uh, the folklore collected, either uh, Malaysian folklore, or uh, New, New Zealand folklore, <laughs> or wherever you're drawing from?
1: Um. Oh my goodness. I can't. I can't think of anything off the top of my head.
0: I can certainly do a um, search for it, but I'm intrigued. <laughs> I've I've read a lot of the African folklore, uh, stuff, mm-hmm, and certainly mm-hmm. European thing. But I, I would be intrigued to read more about that. And so maybe I'm just putting a mental pin out there for myself to do a big search tonight. <laughs> yeah. You know?
1: I mean, there, there's so much in Malaysian folklore for sure. Um, I think in Maori folklore there tends to. It, um, it's kind of, it's very different. Again, there's um, almost, there's not really a defined like bad and good. It's almost like there's a mixture, there's a blending um, and a crossing over the lines, you know, it's nothing. It seems to be more polarizing. Um, like a, you don't really hear about like a, an evil spirit, you know, kind of thing. It's something that just is um, and can perce- be perceived either way. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, that that's uh, fertile territory then for telling yeah, stories. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. yes, um, and uh, you know, death is certainly a part of the the Doom Patrol show, and uh, and with your other uh, projects as well. But given that it deals with this with difficult choices and the extremes to which one might go to protect the ones we love, mm-hmm. would you wish for eternal life?
1: Me personally, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds exhausting.
0: <laughs> Doesn't it? Oh, my goodness. It's, it's difficult enough just to, just to maintain, just to go through mm-hmm. it. But to yeah. think for another hundred years, no, that's okay. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Right. I'm yeah, and happy I think, with the lifespan. Yeah, I think a lot of the Doom Patrol characters might agree as well. They're not sure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's I'm not true, sure right? how
1: long Robot Man wants to stay a Robot Man. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Right, and uh, I forgive the kind of hackiness of this question, but if you had to manifest a strange, unusual power, what would it be?
1: Oh my goodness! Um, hmm, there's so many possibilities. There are. Maybe something. Maybe something with uh, with time. <laughs> Controlling time, like Doctor Time. Yeah, um, I think that <laughs> right. might be fun. Not so much looking into the future, although maybe that might be helpful right now when we're all in lockdown. I want to know when this is going to end. <laughs>
2: right, right.
1: Um, But also slowing down just to give myself more time to, to rest, to think, without kind of feeling like I'm in a hamster wheel all the time with work and everything. That might be right. nice. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I'm not surprised you said that mm-hmm. because certainly as a writer, you can... Traverse time, or you can imagine different futures oh. or pasts and uh, spend some time in that time, which is must be very relaxing in some way, despite the pressures <laughs> of deadlines and all that. I, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I want to know
1: what uh, what superpower you would um want to manifest.
0: Oh, well, thank you for asking. <laughs> I tell you, just just because I've had so many of these remote calls, probably some kind of sound dampening device, uh, you know, sound dampening power would be very helpful. I always thought that would be just a kind of take the sound out of the just out and just be a dampening force. It would be kind of interesting. But uh, I don't I beyond that. I don't know. Although if you're looking for somebody to be a, you know, a a mind stealer, sign me up.
1: There you go. Yeah.
0: (laughs) If you need a good cult leader, I'd happily step in (laughs) and do a little switcheroo. Um, But no, I, you know, I have to think about that. I don't know Mm -hmm. if I'd go for the whole invisible and the flying and whatnot. I like these more complicated ones where there's a little bit of a trade-off, like, well, you can have that power, but you can't do this. And then you have to think, do Mm -hmm. I want to use it now?
1: Yeah, I feel like you don't want to get stuck with just one. It might be a little boring after a while. You might want to try and switch it up. Maybe you could have one for like a week and then you change to a different superpower and try that one out. <laughs>
0: that's right. That's right. Not too different from what crazy Jane does. Yeah. Do we, Jane, we don't call her crazy anymore. Jane.
1: What's she calls herself crazy?
0: Crazy okay. Jane. Okay. <laughs> I was worried. I was stepping into something. <laughs> but thank, thank goodness, that's been taken care of. Now, uh, are there uh, any Doom Patrol masks that we could wear to feel better about going through our days with our with <laughs> pandemic masks? I mean.
1: Oh I, well, I've seen a few online that people have made. Um, yeah. So if you want to, I, I've seen a Red Jack mask, for instance.
0: Oh, that's, <laughs> that's a statement, isn't it? <laughs> that's a kind of a that's a yeah that's a choice i haven't seen the one that i was most scared to see which would be that little calvin uh fellow uh, taking a leak on a coronavirus (laughs) image that feels like the thing that's going to set me over the edge (laughs) you know i mean i'm happy they're wearing the mask but i'm also a little bit annoyed that they're (laughs) that person um, well, has this time now that we're talking about mass has this time influenced uh, your thinking through it? Has it influenced your creative uh, abilities at this moment, going through the pandemic, being shut down inside? You're, are you able to either draw some inspiration from it, which sounds very weird and strange, and I'm sorry for saying that, but uh, <laughs> or, or or is it just shut down mode? How are you doing through it all? Is I guess the base of the question.
1: Um, I think I, I've experienced like two major things. The, the first is um, going into lockdown. And um, at first as a writer, you're like, oh, well, this is fine. I can do this. I'm an introvert and I kind of like being inside. But then you don't realize how much you kind of draw from other people and discussion and, um, and just being outside and experiencing different things. Um, there's also this feeling of stress. And even though you might not actively be thinking about how this stresses me out or how I'm scared of the current state of things, your body still feels it, I think. yeah. yeah. Um, and so I, uh, myself, as well as my husband, who's also a writer, um, and I, th- I think a lot of people I know who are artists kind of go through this malaise a little bit, um, where we feel, you know, um, like we we have all this time we should be creating, but um, we also struggle to, to kind of have that, that inspiration and not to feel like we're hitting a wall. Um, because, you know, you're, you're tired, your brain's tired, and it's, it's processing crazy things happen, happening every day. Yeah. Uh, so the, there's definitely that. Um, so I felt that slow down a little bit which feels uncharacteristic because if I'm working on Doom Patrol, then it's just like deadlines and we're going, we're going, and everything moves really quickly. Um, So that's something to get adjusted to. Um, Although the second part of it is with everything that's been happening in terms of the Black Lives Matter movement, um, I felt really kind of charged to to put more of myself as a woman of color into my work and to put more of these um, political um, themes and elements and to really kind of pursue more diverse storytelling uh, for me personally Um, and to put a lot of my empathy and 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 feeling feelings of anger or sadness into my work as well
0: yeah yeah well, it's a kind of planetary grief that that we're uh-huh. experiencing all the time. Um, and so if you've, I mean, if you have whatever relationship you have with death or dying or impending doom, um,
2: uh-huh.
0: <laughs> you know, you're in that, you're in that actively uh, processing uh-huh. it at, at all times and through all the many different stages of that. Um, so uh, I certainly, uh, yes, I mean, if, if I could, and I can just step aside uh-huh. And Let other voices speak. I mean, maybe I will, um, but uh, applaud the efforts of uh, bringing more perspectives to the fore. And if we can continue mm-hmm. on that, uh, my, my gosh, we'll only be better for it. Um,
1: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's wonderful. Um, well, I so appreciate you taking some time today uh, to talk with me. And I hope we, we all get through it in whatever way we can. Um, and and uh, this has just been a, a great thrill for me. So thank you.
1: Thank you. Thanks. It's always good to, to kind of reach out and have these conversations, especially at this time where everyone's kind of isolated. Um, it's helpful for everyone, I think.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and thank you for the great work you're doing on, on you. my, my favorite little cast of people <laughs> and then the characters out there. It's really uh, great to watch every Thursday or so when it comes out. Uh, I'm there. So uh, supporting that. And uh, thank you for putting that level of uh, inclusion and diversity out in the world. I hope people respond to it as, as I have.
1: Uh, I hope so too. And thank you so much for watching.
0: Absolutely. Well, Shoshana, uh, I wish you good health and safety, uh, continued success with everything, uh, and uh, hope to see you again in in the real space.
1: Thank you. Thanks.
0: (laughs) All right. Shoshana Sachi, a brilliant writer doing great things already with Doom Patrol. My thanks to Shoshana for joining me. I just love the show so much. Can you tell? And now, in part because Space Moth sounds like the name of a Doom Patrol villain, but mostly because I'm a fan of the artist Mariam Kudis, I asked if we could include this new track, Who I Was, in tonight's episode. Now, uh, you can find Space Moth on Bandcamp or Spotify, and I suspect there's a lot more to come. But this song spoke to me, and I think speaks to this uh, time that we're living through of losing oneself to the world, unsure of what happened before the pandemic and completely impossible to imagine what's going to happen to us next. Here is Space Moth with the song, Who I Was. See you. My thanks to Space Moth and Merriam, and my thanks to Shoshana Sachi for spending some time with us this week in The Deep Night. We're on a real extended season this time around, mostly because I'm scared about season 13, and because we're all inside all the time. Anyway, so no more live shows are planned for the rest of the summer, but we have a few more interviews coming up through July, and then maybe we'll have a little break before starting up again. August is just not the best month for turtlenecks, and I've learned that the hard way. So stay tuned. Thank you for listening. Thank you for rating and reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you catch the Dale Vibes. And until next time, remember that although this night is ending, a bright new day is just ahead. Deep Night with Dale is independently produced and performed by James Bewley. Season 12 podcast icon illustrated by Lars Litaro, Deep Night Season 12 themed by Zach Gabbard. Music throughout the episode is provided by the talented roster at Haller Hills Farm in Ohio, production studio space provided by Harvestworks here in New York City. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts or tune in on Stitcher, SoundCloud, or Spotify. Thank you for listening, and this season... I encourage you all to leave your portals open.